Transportation is a journey connecting us in our everyday lives. This podcast series, TRB's Transportation Explorers, takes you on that journey with meaningful conversations with the experts behind the research. They often have an early eye on how we'll build the transportation of tomorrow. Today, we talk to Alicia Trost, Chief Communications Officer at the San Francisco Bay Area Rapid Transit District, or BART. Put the information in the hands of the public, of your riders, of the people willing to go cheerlead for you, so they know how to advocate for you. How much are you losing every week? Do your riders know that? Does your local state senator know that? Why don't they know that? Hi, I'm Elaine Farrell. And I'm Paul Mackey with the Transportation Research Board of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine based in Washington, D.C. Alicia works to enhance the customer experience at BART through real-time communication with the public. Welcome, Alicia. We're so happy to have you. Give us a a little feeling uh, of where San Francisco is in the vaccination effort for COVID-19 and how it's generally emerging from the crisis. Yeah, thank you for having me. So one, in California, you may know, we were one of the first to shelter in place. So we're still sort of stuck in our Bay Area shelter in place, shelter in place bubble. Um, the vaccines have been very slow to roll out through the counties, but great, great news that the governor and FEMA have selected a site close to one of our BART stations for a mass vaccination distribution location and that supply is straight from FEMA. And so for the first three days, which is how far we're into it now, it has had um, several thousand appointments each day. I've heard zero complaints about it. So there's a ray of hope here in the Bay Area that while the counties may be struggling to get um, a higher supply and the supply to to meet demand, this FEMA supply has been um, plentiful. That's really one of the most pressing issues right now for public transit agencies is is getting people to COVID-19 vaccination sites. Uh, Along with what you're saying, what what do you think BART has been doing to promote vaccinations and and how are they helping people get vaccinated, particularly in the the hardest hit neighborhoods? First, I want to just gently push back a little bit because I would say the highest priority and what's most concerning to us right now is that transit workers have not been prioritized to get the vaccine. So while we are being asked and we are stepping up and doing it to get people to vaccination sites for free, our own employees are not protected. And so it's a little frustrating for us. We don't know why that that's the case. Uh, We are advocating that we get vaccinated and prioritize at least those frontline workers. Uh, But as of now, it hasn't happened. Um, But what we are doing is we basically found out through a press conference that this mass vaccination site was going to open right at the doorstep of our station. And so that's a great lesson learned for other transit systems. Please don't think you're going to possibly get looped in from the beginning. You may find out through a press conference because that's just how quickly things are moving and how busy the public health departments are. And so once we learned they were going to be at the doorsteps of our station, we had to find out, is this going to be drive-through only? Because that's extremely upsetting. And that's what we're seeing across the nation. These drive-through only cars are needed to get vaccinated. That's a huge red flag. We have a huge problem with that. So we hunted down the right staff to find out, um, will there be um, an option to quote unquote walk up, uh, whether it's through uh, taking a bus to the site or taking a BART to the site? 
And they did confirm they were going to do that. And then we worked with them in less than one week to stand up a full program where we have volunteers uh, working their normal work hours. And we are handing out free BART tickets to those that arrive via the train to get their vaccination. And so you're getting a free ride home. And that helps promote uh, for those that just don't have another option. They don't have someone to drive them to the location. They don't have a car. Uh, maybe they live too far away to take a bike. Maybe the bus doesn't come near their house. And so BART is great because we touch so many different counties here in the region. And what's great about this location is that it's for Californians from anywhere. If you can get an appointment and you wanna drive from Fresno, uh, you can do that. You don't have to show a residency in Alameda County and that's how most vaccinations are working, at least here in California, you have to show you're a resident. And so that, that's huge and it's a game changer. And that's why BART is playing such a critical role. And so for the first three days of the site being open, we've handed out a hundred of those tickets and it makes us feel good to know that we're making it just a little bit easier uh, to get vaccinated. We also know that most of our riders right now are essential workers. We've done significant onboard surveys to learn um, who are the people riding, what are their demographics. They have dramatically changed, as you can imagine. Um, they've gone to being significantly people of color, low income, uh, without access to a car. And so those are the folks that need vaccines. They're going and they're keeping our economy running and they're taking the train. And the sooner that those riding our trains and the people operating our trains and cleaning our trains get vaccinated, the sooner people will feel comfortable coming back to transit when their time comes. What does it feel like there at that vaccination site? Sort of put us on site. Does it does it feel like people are feel safe and that they that they can can be congregating in a in a big area uh, with so many other people like that? There's two areas. One is the drive-through area, which has multiple lanes, and they they've got. They've got the National Guard out there helping with directions. It is well-staffed, well-thought-out, well-planned. And what we're most proud of, though, is what is called the pedestrian village. And BART staff was very much part of this planning. In fact, I think they were going to call it um, the, uh, the, the walk-in tent, and we pushed back. You know, there's some people that don't walk that will be coming for their vaccine. They're in mobility devices. And so they, they rebranded it for us to be pedestrian village. Um, kind of a more welcoming. And then we made sure, how can we make sure those getting off a bus or off the train, because it's sort of a long walk into the parking lot. We've got golf carts that are uh, wheelchair accessible out there making loops with great um, wayfinding signage. And people just have a sense of relief. There's tons of space. There's lots of bathrooms that are clean, which is so important, right? At the end of the day, a nice clean bathroom for when you have to wait. Um, the Pedestrian village tip is pretty empty, sadly, but to be expected, I think people feel more comfortable taking a car and it's really only those that can't that are taking the train or the bus. And so you arrive and there's really not that many people in that tent. So it's, it's a comforting feeling and people just have a big sigh of relief to get that first shot and then you're guaranteed the second one. Um, so it is an amazing setup. I'm really impressed with the amount of resources and staff they've thrown on it. You always fear like, is it going to have enough staffing? Is it, are the signs going to be right? Is it going to be a huge cluster? You know, is there going to, is it going to cause backups on the freeway? And we just haven't seen that, which is great. Great. Well, that sounds promising. 
And now just to switch gears for a second, another pressing issue, as you know, is the decline in ridership for transit agencies, not just with BART, but across the states. In San Francisco specifically, you've got these huge companies like Twitter and Salesforce who've announced they may not go to work again, even after the pandemic is over. So what is BART doing to address your declining revenue stream and keep your services running on time? Yeah, it is truly a fiscal crisis like no other. It's basically transit, especially in our area, we are now in an existential crisis. You know, what do we do? How do we get funding? For the longest time, our pride and joy was our fare box recovery rate. And that means the amount of fares that covers your operating budget. Uh, to give you an example, our operating ratio, which was the what fares, parking revenue, and advertising paid for, was 71%, which is almost unheard of in transit before COVID. It is now 12%. So where does that money come from? Um, so it's now become this sort of unmitigated risk that we had never seen. We always took such pride in that fare box recovery ratio. So we've been able to receive enough federal emergency aid to avoid layoffs for now and to keep the trains running, but it's not at a level that we're gonna be able to attract new riders um, or to get riders back or to get them out of their cars. You know, trains running every 30 minutes, 15 minutes at our most busiest hours just isn't enough. It's doing its job and getting essential workers to their workplace, but it's not going to be enough to get those that that love their car into a train. So we are really having to explore how are we going to bring in revenue uh, if the riders don't come back? Not only that, let's say riders come back, but it's only twice a week instead of five times a week. So not only are we losing the fare dollars, but we're we may be losing the parking revenue also. Some of it, though, we're trying to look at it as a positive. Maybe this is our finally our chance to really focus on trips throughout the day instead of being so heavily focused on the peak of the peak. It might make better service for those that work off hours, which tend to be women, minorities. We're also looking at it as maybe this is our chance to improve the reverse commute. Can we get uh, big companies to open office satellite offices in these areas that the trains run empty on the reverse. So maybe leaving San Francisco is something that we can make a bright spot there, not overnight. I mean, this is like a decade project. If we can get some more satellite offices in these lo locations, if you know the Bay Area, we're talking Walnut Creek, Concord, Dublin, San Leandro, um, where we actually have plenty of space to serve. Another interesting way to look at this is we're building housing on our parking lots and that's extremely contentious because people don't like to lose their parking spots. Uh, but also it helps the region because we're also earmarking um, a percentage for affordable housing. So what? how does that play into our long-term and the new reality of, of BART and our ridership? So we're, we're trying to not just look at it as a crisis and how are we gonna fill the trains? Of course, that's number one, but we're also trying to spin it as positive as possible and think about um, how can we use this moment in time? So I guess a natural follow-up for that is, what do you see as the role of government, be that local, state, federal, uh, in supporting transit companies? So we know transit is the backbone to the economy. 
And now I think the pandemic has really allowed us to storytell that a little bit better and to get lawmakers to understand it's a bipartisan issue in the sense that no matter what party you're affiliated with, you should believe in transit and fund transit. And it's interesting to see those conversations take place um, at the federal level and, and who's willing to step up and fund transit and who doesn't want to include it. Uh, we know that the only way, at least for the Bay Area, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's playing out every other um, uh, state, the economy is not going to come back without transit. We can't rely on our freeway infrastructure to get people to work. Even if people are working from home a lot, there's still going to be a need to deliver folks to major urban hubs. We haven't talked so much about communications, which along with being a transit and transportation professional and expert, you are certainly a communications expert too. So how is BART and, and you, how, are, how is your team communicating about, one, about the vaccination site uh, that you described, and, and also how are you communicating about the fact that people should perhaps, it sounds like in your mind, get back on the train and get back on the transit system and, and ride? So in times of crisis, communication is so important. And we've challenged ourselves. We want to be your single source of truth of where to get all the information you need about travel, even if it's not just BART, maybe just all of transit in the Bay Area, that you can come to our Twitter feed and find out what is it like to ride a train like right now? What does it look like? What is BART doing to those trains to make me safe? What's the airflow like? What's the ventilation? What air filters are you using? Um, how much is service right now? How often are you running? And what frustrates me is sometimes I go to other transit systems, Twitter feeds, and you don't get any of that information, which is extremely frustrating because I just feel like this is our chance to make the information easy to find and to break through all of the clutter and talk directly to the region. It should all, you should also be able to go to a web, your website and find it really easily and not have to dig through pages and pages of PDFs and, and web links. Um, and so that's my biggest challenge to other systems is to use this chance to communicate more than you ever have um, and also advocate people that, that live in the region, they're stuck at home, but they own small businesses and they're checking our data every day for the stations they're located near because to them that's an indicator of are things improving or are things um, actually are people that now retreating back again. And so seeing, getting those emails from people make me feel so good because something we're providing is actually helping their day-to-day -day life. Like they're relying on our data to know if he needs to hire more people to staff his local like small business. We just got that email the other day and it just made me feel so good. This isn't just about are the trains delayed and is your bus delayed and when's your bus arriving? That's sort of what transit communicators think they should be communicating. You really need to open up your books, treat the public like they're reporters. All of the great information that you hand over to reporters because they ask, why don't you do that to your own writers? That is sort of the philosophy that we take here. When the first shelter in place orders came out, the counties communicated it very much like, please read the 10-page PDF that is linked to our website so you can understand what you are and are not allowed to do. 
we went through those 10 pages and we broke it down and we wrote up like in real language, what does that mean if you're riding the trains? And what does that mean even if you're not riding now, but want to come back later? And people were saying, this makes complete sense. This makes more sense than what I listened to on the news. And that's when I knew we were doing it right. When people say like, that's, a, that is what I needed to hear. Th thanks for setting that clear. And thank you for not making me read 10 pages of, you know, government written speak. Alicia, I think the three of us could geek out on this topic all day because Elaine and I, you know, work in, in communications for the Transportation Research Board. And how did you get interested in communications and possibly transportation in the first place? Um, so I went to UC Berkeley for college and I was interning at a local news station, a t local TV news station. And I just loved the vibe of it. I loved the energy. I loved how you could go interview real people and change it into a story. And so right out of college, I worked seven years uh, producing television news. And I saw an opportunity to um, move into politics, doing being a press secretary. It was really after 9-11. I think a lot of people uh, my age and in their professional career when 9-11 happened, it was a huge game changer in the news industry. And I just, I wasn't having any fun anymore. It was like so depressing and the stories and really important journalism at that time. But I just needed a change. It was after seven years and I was hired on to be the press secretary for the Senate uh, Democrat leader here in California in the state capitol. And I just loved it from day one. I had no idea how much I loved policy. I also loved working in government. I was working with the smartest people in their areas in government. You know, if you were an expert in this specific policy area, you know everything about it, you know how to change it, you know who to call. So I learned so much from them. And then I was driving every day to the state capitol, um, reverse commute, but it was weighing on me. I had two small children. They were in the back of my car. I was singing baby songs for an hour to get to the daycare. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And there were term limits uh, in California. So I didn't want to have to keep getting a new boss every time the term limits were happening. And so this job opened up in Oakland with, at BART and I just saw it on the website and I cold applied and I was just excited from the beginning because I grew up in the Bay Area. When you grow up in the Bay Area, you most likely can hear a BART train from your house, which I could. You definitely took BART all your life going to A's games and into San Francisco going to college. And so I was just like, this is the best job ever to be the spokesperson for BART. And I just went through all of the different interviews. It was a long interview process and I got the job and I've loved it ever since. I had no idea how much I would love to learn about trains. And now I know there's a lot of people who love trains. I, did, I just didn't realize that. I thought of it more of a, this is a critical essential um, transportation system but it's so much more than that, right? It's, it's like the part of the footprint of the region. Uh, we can make major um, improvements in social justice working in transit, which I, had, I was just completely uneducated about, but now am. Um, we can make great policy changes in trans transit working, working at a place like BART. And so um, I've now been here eight years and I absolutely love it. Not to say it, it doesn't come with challenges. Man, my phone rings all hours of the night with things that just make my jaw drop to the floor of things that happen in our system at all hours of the night. And then we have to go and tell the media about it 
or um, you know, we have labor unions. I was here for a strike, which now I'm so proud that that's like the lowest of the low in BART history of while well, I've been here was was a labor strike. And now our, our relationship with labor is so good. And in fact, we wouldn't be able to survive this pandemic if it were not for truly partnering with our employees and labor unions. We check with them before we say yes to anything, especially with this with the vaccination sites. And one thing we did right away is for testing. We were, I think they're saying that we were first in the nation to have testing at um, our 24th Street Mission Station, which is a predominantly Latino uh, community. We said, come and please test, just take over our plaza. We'll give you a permit, whatever you need. But every time we did that, we checked with our unions. What do we need to do to make employees feel comfortable? What kind of communication do they need? are you okay with this? Like they could say, you know, we're not, and then maybe it's not a good fit for us. And so that's another huge lesson learned that other systems and industries can, is you got to bring your labor partners. Um, don't tell them after the fact they have to be part of the decision-making. They've come up with great ideas. Um, one of the fun things we're doing to encourage vaccines once we're eligible for them with employees is our labor unions are like, oh, you should do buttons because our staff love buttons. I mean, buttons are very popular at large. And so they recommended this and so I'm like, I'll do it. And it's a little button. I got my vaccine, but I'm masked for you. And so when they get their vaccine, the employees can, it's like a sign of pride. And so that, that idea came from the labor unions. The Academy's just released a report on strategies for public outreach to build confidence in COVID-19 vaccinations. And it's certainly a, a public outreach sort of communications focused report. But with that new report on, on public outreach to build confidence in COVID-19 vaccinations, that's a little bit outside of your area, but, but what do you think about that research and, and how does it align with some of the things you've talked about with, with BART's plans? What's so important, we're not going to achieve herd immunity unless there's a massive communication and um, most importantly, getting in front of uh, rumors, myths, you know, the media is always going to jump on that one story of the person who died 15 minutes after getting the vaccine. And so how can we all work together to um, combat the, the fears? And a lot of that's going to come down to getting into communities that aren't usually open to government speaking to them. So what kind of strategies can be used working through community-based organizations, um, religious in, uh, organizations, so that people that don't trust government, don't trust people you know, in a uniform telling them what is right and what's not right and what's safe and what isn't safe, it's really gonna come down to that. So I appreciate that there's experts looking at this, developing toolkits, recommendations, so that you don't have to start from scratch. Uh, there's so many lessons learned from previous um, uh, pandemics. I mean, we've, we've been through SARS and um, there's been a lot of um, communication developed for all sorts of different scenarios. And so I love that there's a panel of experts that are looking at new ways and hopefully people follow the advice. Uh, so you're not a researcher by trade, but is there any other research you would be interested in seeing about pandemics and transit? So I think the most important thing is the concept of what are large employers going to do and having them share that with the public, uh, not just government agencies, not just local governments, but the transportation agencies so that we can plan. My biggest fear is that office spaces open up and we can't quickly ramp up service you know, things don't change overnight in a train system. We have 
um, collective bargaining agreements we have to follow. There's union bids in order to get more trains into service. Um, it's just something you can't do overnight. And so some research into when can spaces open up safely at what level, and then also more coordinated effort to understand who's riding transit right now. We know because we've done that surveying, but has everyone and then is it being shared? Because I think it's an important part of the story. So some research on that would be fascinating. Uh, more research on ventilation, airflow within transit systems, elevators, really important. I was Googling my brains out trying to find information about ventilation and elevators and are elevators a safe place for, for those that use wheelchairs and they just have to use an elevator. We, I want to be able to communicate with them. Look, you, you know, you're safe getting in our elevators at BART. So that, that would be really helpful. Well, Alicia, your, your passion and your knowledge are, are clear, I think, uh, and on display here in our, in our podcast. And we really want to thank you for being on it. And, uh, you know, the, the road ahead is certainly, it's uphill for transit agencies, for, for airports, and for many others in the transportation industry. So we need people like you to, to continue fighting to make sure everybody has the transportation options that they, they so deserve in this country. Absolutely. Yes, thanks for joining us today. This is real interesting. Thank you. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. And um, let's stay in touch. TRB's Transportation Explorers is a production of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Ben Brown composed our theme music. The podcast is produced by Paul Mackey and me, Elaine Farrell, and edited by me. Thanks again for tuning into TRB's Transportation Explorers. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. See you next time on the transportation journey.